to the ends of the earth till you've given your love to me. To the ends of the earth. Got the point, all right? That's a little Montgomery native, Nat King Cole, singing a, a famous love song called To the Ends of the Earth. Now this morning as we gather, we're going to find out that Nat King Cole didn't come up with those words. Those are literal words from Scripture that describe the greatest love story in the history of the world. And that was God's pursuit of man. That God was willing to come after us. If you haven't taken notes this morning, you might write this down. Jesus pursued man to the earth. Nat King Cole saying, I will follow you, my love. You'll never be free to the ends of the earth. And Jesus, God in the flesh, is willing to come to this earth. Now listen to me. This is the major distinction between Christianity and every other world religion. Uh, In every other world religion, man seeks God, seeking somehow to find Him. And maybe you will and maybe you won't. But in Christianity, God comes after man. Now, then write this next statement down. This is so important. Then Jesus unleashes His body to pursue man to the ends of the earth. After Jesus comes to the earth, then he unleashes his body, the church, us, to go to the ends of the earth and to pursue people. I understand this. Jesus never traveled more than 50 miles from the place he was born. And yet he commissions his disciples now to go to the ends of the earth. Here's Jesus' last words he spoke on this earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They're to go to the ends of the earth. Some translations say the remotest part of the earth, the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, if Jesus were speaking to us today, he might say to the Landmark Church, I want you to go to Montgomery and to Prattville and to Birmingham and to the very ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was talking to a friend this week who raised a little bit of objection. Why are we giving so much money for foreign missions? He said, we still have people here that need to be reached. That's true. And we're going to do everything we can to reach those people. But you, you, can you imagine when the disciples go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth? Do you think everybody in Jerusalem was already a Christian before they began that movement? Oh no, that movement spread like wildfire across the earth because his body answered the call. And you begin to watch it through the book of Acts. And the church grows and more and more people become disciples and more and more come to the Lord. By the end of Paul's life, he's able to say, basically, the known world has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 4, verse 15, he says this. I love these words. And this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. What's Paul saying? It's really, if you study this verse, it's a really hard verse to translate. It's difficult to know where the more and more belongs. I honestly think the message translation makes it the plainest. 
Look, look at, keep on flipping with me. Let's go down. There we go. Every detail works to your advantage and to God's glory. Here we go. More and more grace, more and more people, more and more praise. What's he able to say? It's more and more. God's grace is being spread more and more. More and more people are coming to the, to the Lord. And more and more people are glorifying God because of what's going on. The good news this morning, I want you to hear some of the things I'm about to share, is that we could still say the same thing the Apostle Paul said there. More and more grace, more and more people, more and more glory. Let me, let me just tell you some statistics. Wes put me onto this from the Joshua Project. If you want to go online and look at something really encouraging that, that tracks the Christian movement across the world. Here are some encouraging signs. The first may not sound encouraging at first, but, but when you hear the details, you'll, you'll see it, it's something pretty big time. There are only now 2,000 languages on the earth that lack Bible translations. There are over 5,000 languages on the earth. This past November, for the first time in history, that number went below 2,000. And, and, and people are diligently working to bring it down to zero. Uh, let's think about this. Over the past 20 years, who could have ever guessed this? The communist Chinese government has printed over 50 million Bibles. Who would dream that would happen? In 1949, when the Christian missionaries were run out of China, people thought the Christian religion was gone. When we came back in later in the 2000s, the door was at least cracked open, we found out there were more Christians then than in 1949. There were 50 million people following Jesus. And now the Chinese government's printing Bibles. Uh, look at this. In Afghanistan, since 9-11, we have gone from 17 known Muslims with a known Muslim background being followers of Jesus to today, we know there's over 10,000. Just 17 at 9-11. Known Muslim background followers of Jesus, now 10,000. And if you look on a world map, you'll find this out. Christianity is the only true worldwide religion. Oh yes, the others have scatterings of people, but if you look on the broad globe, Christianity is that religion. There are over 160,000 people a day who hear about Jesus for the first time. Listen to me. In the year 1800, only 25% of the globe had ever heard the name Jesus. Only 25%. Today, over 75% of the globe has heard the name Jesus. It's more and more. I look at this statistic. Be encouraging to us. Evangelical Christians have the highest growth rate of any religion in the world. Sometimes we watch the news and we see what's going on with the Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists. And we see what's going on with Christianity in America. And we think, wow, we are losing the battle. And let's be, let's be honest here. In Europe and North America, we are. But if we, you travel Christianity in Africa, South America, Asia, and across the world... It's the evangelical Christians have a higher growth rate than anybody else. In fact, according to joshuaproject.net, 
practicing Christians are at the highest percentage of the world population in history. More than at any other time in history. If you look at people who are really seeking to follow Jesus, the percentage is higher than ever. And so we can join the Apostle Paul and say together this morning, there's more and more grace, more and more people, and more and more glory to God. Now here's what we want to get to today. That's good news across the world. Amen? Now here's the question is, are are, are we going to join the call? Are we going to answer the call? As a church, last week we tried to get really practical about how you and I go out and share our faith and become, I love this word, we become partners with Jesus. We begin to pray. We begin to have a new mindset. We begin even to rearrange our schedules because we want to partner with Jesus in Montgomery, Alabama, or wherever you live to reach someone for Christ. Now here's the question. Are we going to answer that call? As we conclude this this message series called The Pursuit, in which we respond to God's pursuit of us and join Him as partners in this pursuit, will this just be another message series that comes and goes, or will this become our lifestyle? As we prepare for Mission Sunday next Sunday, will we join the pursuit as partners? Will we willing, are we willing to put our money where our mouth is? It's a, it's a great opportunity we have. As Wes was describing earlier, our mission vision team, they're not just throwing out missionaries in different places. There's a strategy. If you look at the global map where Christianity needs to spread, you will see that our people are strategically located in places close to the Muslim world, in areas of Africa where the gospel has not been preached, in China where the door is just opening. You see, there's a strategy behind this. And next week, you and I have a chance to be a part of that. How many days are you going to take next week? It's our goal as our family is we want to take at least four days next year. At least a day for everybody living under our household. What are you going to do next Sunday? What are you going to do to sacrifice You see, let me me say this, guys. Here's the key. Here's what I'm looking for this morning. What we need is motivation. Our, Our problem today is not knowledge. It's not resources. It's not opportunity. The, the, the problem among God's people is that so many of us are rather, and I hear these words a lot, I, I'm, I'm just sort of apathetic, I'm, I'm un, unmotivated, I'm, I, I'm lukewarm. What would it take to motivate us? What would it take for us to walk out these doors as partners with Jesus Christ? Can I ask you this morning, how motivated are you about reaching someone? Who are you reaching out to right now? Who have you recently invited to church? Who have you put in a good word about Jesus to? Who are you praying about? Who are you spending some extra time with so you can build a relationship so out of that relationship you can bear some fruit for God? Are we so busy and so apathetic in our own world that we forget to do that? Because here's what I dream about being a part of and what I see happening in this church right now is I see more and more of you getting motivated More and more of us getting motivated about not just coming to church, not just being good moral people, not just being a little bit better than maybe our neighbors in some areas, not being judgmental toward everybody around us, but being a part of a mission for God. Does it ever hit you sometimes how unmotivated we can be? 
I mean, you know, it's a church as we try to cooperate. We are the body of Christ. Can, can we cooperate to reach the world? I remember being a teenager and going up in church and I, I remember sitting up in the teen section and, and uh, somehow at a young age, I just fell in love with Jesus. I, I just thought he was awesome. And it really, it, it bothered me what, why we had such a hard time cooperating. This is something that always stuck in my mind. Anybody ever remember those those Sunday night services where there weren't many people who came. Anybody ever been to one of those? Okay. You ever been there when the song leader got up and said, not worship leader, song leader. He got up and said, there's not many folks here tonight. It would really help our singing if you do what? If you'd move up. You've heard those words, obviously. All right. Have you ever noticed what happened in that moment when he said that? Here's the answer. Nothing. We looked at him like he was crazy. I dare you ask me to leave my sacred pew. I'm not going to do that. I finally got to be a preacher. I was preaching for the Gateway Church in Pensacola. And one Sunday, I sort of fired up. And I said to them, I said, guys, listen to me. The early church was so fired up, they went into all the world. We would be downright thrilled if some of you guys would move up a couple of pews. I mean, that's major progress for some of us. Let me tell you, what would happen if we became partners together, motivated out of our mind to reach people for Jesus Christ? Now I want you to go back with me to that passage we were just looking at. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. And I want to keep reading because this is what I've been doing this week. I've been looking at that passage and what Paul says in the next few verses. And I've been trying to look at what motivated them. What really motivated them to speak the gospel to the whole known world? Let's, let's read through that together. Verse 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And let's look for those keys, all right? Here we go. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Here's our line. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose motivation. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So what do we do? So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, here's the key motivation. Here's the key as to whether you're going to walk out of here and reach someone for Christ. Here's the key as to whether you will sacrificially give next Sunday. The key motivation is belief. I I, I love that line. We believe, therefore we speak. Now listen to me. Guys, it all boils down to this question. Do you really believe? Because if you believe, you move. If you believe, you speak. If you believe, you act. I love this quotation from Martin Luther King when he lived in Montgomery. And he was walking to the back of a bus to sit down. 
And he said to himself, in his mind, I may walk to the back of the bus, but I left my mind in the front of the bus. One day I'm going to put my body up there where my mind is. Listen to me. When your mind is in the right place and you believe who Jesus is, eventually your body will follow. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, if we believe, if we really believe, we speak. Now, what are some things here that motivated them? What are some things he believed? There are five things I see in these few verses we've just read. First of all, there was a belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says this. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us. to, To me, guys, the resurrection is such a key to our motivation. I, I know in my own life, I went off to college with the University of Alabama, had some professors that at the best were agnostic. I'd gone out there pretty innocent. I thought it was a Christian university. And so I, I get there, and there's these, these professors. I'm taking actually some religion classes. And, and they're beginning to say the Bible's not the inspired word of God and Jesus isn't who he claimed to be. And, and I begin to go, oh, my goodness, I've never heard this, you know. And this source for the Bible and this source, and it was just put together by... It, it, was, it, was, it was sort of shattering. And so I had to figure out something that I could hold on to if I was to keep my faith. And in the long run, I believe the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. But if he has risen, nothing else matters. And so what I could finally cling to was, you know what? There is great historical, biblical proof for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, Christianity, again, unlike any other world religion, is based on something that happened in history or didn't happen. And the Apostle Paul says, if it didn't happen, we need to get out of here as quick as we can. If it did happen, we need to get out of here and share it. I begin to say, you know what? I can't understand everything about the Bible. I can't answer everything about God and what he does and doesn't do. But one thing I do believe is I do believe that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. How about you? And listen to me, that is a game changer because the resurrection proves who Jesus is, who we become, and what's going to happen at our death. Number one, we believe in the resurrection. Number two, there was a belief in grace. Listen to me, guys. The most beautiful word in the English language is grace. It's one of those theological words, unlike so many other biblical words, that still has importance. And grace is what, again, makes Christianity so different. It's this idea that you don't have to deserve it. You don't have to earn it. You get what you need, not what you deserve. It's unmerited gift. It's unmerited favor, however you want to put it. Because listen to me. Maybe you've heard the word too often. Maybe we've sang amazing grace too many times that we have forgotten how radical grace is. Philip Yancey writes, Grace is Christianity's best gift to the world. Gordon MacDonald, another famous Christian author, writes, You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. Because that's what we've got. 
That's why you see these crazy stories about a mother whose son was killed by a drunk driver, whose teenage son, who goes and visits that driver and befriends him and adopts him into his family. How could that happen? Because of grace. That's why Nelson Mandela, after spending most of his life in prison for wanting equality of races, when he's released, wants his captors to stand as he takes the oath of office with him as president of South Africa. How can he do that? How can, because of this word grace, how can you be who you need to be? Because you understand it's not your merit. It's not what you can do. It's what God has given you. And my friends, when we understand grace, it will motivate us. And then another thing they believed in, they believed in renewal. Paul, Paul said something that most of us, they're growing a little older, will find extremely accurate. He said, outwardly, we are wasting away. <laughs> you hear that? Outwardly, we are wasting away. Anybody felt any of that this week? Just raise your hand. You're just sort of vast majority of us, okay? The rest of you are liars. Outwardly, okay, outwardly we're wasting away. I mean, we all feel age coming on us. We can't do things we used to could do. We have aches and pains where we didn't have it before. That's the cycle of life. But Paul says that's not what it's all about. It's not simply about you outwardly wasting away. He says, here's the good news. Inwardly, inwardly, you are being renewed day by day. Outwardly wasting away, inwardly being renewed. You see, what Paul believed is he believed that change was possible. He believed that people could be different. He believed that God could change people from the inside out. That same spirit that breathed life into man, he became a living soul. That same spirit can breathe life into you and you can become a spiritual warrior for God. I love the guest that said to me the other day, I've been coming lately, and when I walk in those doors, I feel the Spirit of God. And then they said this, it is like a breath of fresh air. I've been in stale religion. I've been going through the motions, just doing the right things with no motivation behind it. But now I feel the breath of God. I feel renewal. And then number four, they believed in eternity. I mean, what Paul is saying here is, you know, no matter what mess we have to go through on this earth, no matter how badly our, our bodies deteriorate, which they do and will, we have an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I mean, listen to what he says in the next chapter. Talking about being motivated. He's talking about sharing his faith. Listen to chapter 5, verse 10 in 2 Corinthians. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What's Paul believe? Paul believes every person on this globe will one day stand before God and give an account for the life they've lived. What does that do for you, Paul? Listen to the next verse. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. My friends, you know what's going to motivate us? is when we believe in eternity. And when you walk into a classroom, or you walk into a business, or you walk into your neighborhood, or you walk into the convenience store, or you walk into a stadium full of people, at some point the thought hits you. Everybody in here will spend either eternity in heaven or in hell. That's got to motivate me. As if we believe in eternity, if we believe the truth of that, Nobody's got to make us do anything, man. There's a motivation. And then one other motivation I hear is the belief 
in we. You say, what is that? Belief in we. In those few verses we read, seven times the Apostle Paul uses the word we. We believe. We proclaim. We share. We endure. We do not lose heart. What's he saying? We've got each other's back. Not only do we believe in Jesus' resurrection, not only do we believe in the Holy Spirit, His power to renew us, not only do we believe in the judgment day, we believe in each other. We believe that we can be and achieve great things for God. I used to say something, this was not right in sermons. I used to say, my favorite definition of the church is this. It's a bunch of sinners trying to do better. Now, I understand what I was trying to say there. I was trying to say, we're all in this thing, you know, and we're all sinners. That is a terrible, terrible definition of the church. We are not simply a bunch of sinners trying to do better. We are redeemed. We have been bought with the price. We are spirit-filled. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We are his personal representatives on this earth. We have power to do what we could never do alone. And so guys, here's what we've got to restore, is we've got to have a belief in we. We've got to have a belief in us to say, well, buddy, I look across this audience, and I know almost everybody's faults. Buddy, I know your faults. That's all right. Because here, here, here's the thing we all know, is that together we are spirit-filled. Together we are the body of Christ. I love one of the parts of our, our membership expectations in Landmark 101 is this simple statement. I will assume the best of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I've been in too many churches where we assume the worst, where we couldn't be the we to change the world because we were too busy nitpicking each other about silly things that we would never reach the world. What I want to be a part of is a body like the Apostle Paul says is, you know what? I'm assuming the best of you. Brother, I got your back. Somebody criticizes you, I'll defend you. Because we are together. And if there's a problem between us, here's what we do. We go to each other and get it straight. Why? Because the mission is bigger than us. We're motivated by we. And guys, here's, here's what Paul's saying. Let's, let's sum it all up. If we believe, we will speak. Did you hear that? If we believe, that's the key. If we believe, we'll speak. Here's what Paul believes. We can't help it. I mean, how many things in your life do you get so excited about it? You can't help but speak about it. Maybe it's the birth of your child or the birth of a grandchild. Maybe it's some political persuasion you have that you feel so convicted about that, you know, I was watching on Facebook this week, one of our members, you know, and she just had to let it out. I thought she put it well. But it's like, you know, guys, there's a lot of things, you know, that I see both sides to. But this one issue, she says, I just can't see both sides on this one. It just, it, it just had to come out of her. And maybe, you know, guys, for some of us, it's so silly that, you know, over the last few years as our teams have won national championships, nobody's pushing us to talk about it. You don't have to go to the barbershop and someone, you know, put a gun to your head and say, please talk about this. We just talk about it. It just, it just comes out because we believe and we're excited. 
Because here's what Paul said, is when we believe what's really important, when we believe in God, when we believe in the resurrection, we believe in grace, we believe in eternity, we believe we can be changed, we believe in what we could do together, it's going to come out. Acts chapter 4 is the perfect example. Figuratively, Peter and John do have a gun to their head. And the Jewish authorities are saying, either you shut up about this thing, about Jesus and the resurrection and grace and all this business, either, either you shut up about it or we're going to kill you. Do you remember their response? I love it. We cannot stop speaking what we have seen and we have heard. We believe this and we won't stop. And that's what's needed among God's people today is we must believe. Folks, if we don't speak, what does it say about our belief? I ask you this morning, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Do you believe in his abundant grace? Have you experienced in your own life? Have you been renewed? Do you know that eternity is forever? And do you believe in what we can do together as the body of Christ? You say, buddy, I, I, I like what you're saying here, but, but I got an objection. You see, my life and my faith are not perfect. Here, here's the good news today, guys. We're not asking and God's not asking for a perfect faith. The context of the passage we study today in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is when the Apostle Paul said, I've been beaten down, I've been pressed down, my life's a mess. In fact, he says, you know what we are? We're just broken up jars of clay with this incredible treasure of the gospel within it. The context is life is messed up, but in the midst of that, we shine the treasure. Now, there's one passage that, that hits me. If you've got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 28. That's where Jesus first gives uh, one of the first renditions of the Great Commission. And I don't know if this has ever hit you, but here these guys are about to change the world and listen to what the Bible says about them right before Jesus spoke to them. Verse 27, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. My friends, even those early disciples, they didn't have a perfect faith. In the middle of their worship and the commission, they even have some doubt. Because we're not talking about a perfect faith in us. We're talking about putting our faith in a perfect being. Because the idea of faith is not the amount of faith you have. It's who you put your faith in. And that's why Paul says, if we believe this thing, we believe it, we'll speak. If we believe it, we'll generously, sacrificially give. We believe it. So here's what we're looking for this morning. Could it be you? We're looking for some unleashed, motivated, passionate people for Jesus who are willing to go to the ends of the earth. There was a, a set of missionaries around the turn of the century that were called one-way missionaries. Here's what it was. They would buy a one-way ticket to Africa. But back then it would be on a ship. There's a guy named A.W. Milner. He was one of those one-way missionaries. At a young age, he decided God had called him to be a missionary. He bought his one-way ticket and he bought a coffin. And he put all of his belongings in that coffin. Everything he owned in the coffin. And he went to Africa and he never came home. His mind was made up, I'm not leaving this place without an impact. He died in Africa. He was buried in that coffin. 
And on his marker, this is what the African people wrote. Before he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. I'm asking you, are you willing to go to work and say, you know what, I'm sticking in this place till I have an impact? Are you willing to go to school and say, you know what, I'm praying in this place until I have an impact for Christ? Are you willing to go back to your family and go, you know what, I'm not giving up on anybody in my family until they come to know the Lord? Are you willing, wherever you go, to be a one-way missionary and to bring the light of Jesus Christ? That's what we're looking for this morning. We're looking for some motivated, sold-out, passionate people for Jesus Christ who are ready to live their life on a mission. Let's close out with another song. This is another song called To the Ends of the Earth. It's by a Christian group called Hillsong. Let me just, um, let me just read you their words. Jesus, I believe in you. That's the key, isn't it? Jesus, I believe in you. And I would go to the ends of the earth. For you alone are the Son of God, and all the world will see that you are God. You are God. The Apostle Paul says, we believe. Therefore, we speak. If today you believe and you need to make a move in your life, if today it's time for you to repent of your apathy, If today it's time for you to have the prayers of the church about where you go to work and about people you're trying to reach for Christ. If today's the day that you believe, you know, I push you in a corner, I go, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in eternity? Do you believe that God can change us? You go, yeah, well do something, speak something, be somebody for God. We believe, therefore we speak. And because of that, we are people willing to go into every nook and cranny to the ends of the earth. If you need to start by coming up here, why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing.